0: Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for the cause of truth that you are um, working in us and among us and through your church to to make Christ known, to um, display the beauty of Jesus, to um, Draw people to yourself that the kingship of Christ would be established on earth and continue to grow on earth. And we thank you that you and your great mercy and wisdom have seen fit to use us in the process. Um, that your spirit works in the hearts of men, but it does so through the preaching of your word and the, and the evangelism and the, and the witness of your people to the beauty of Jesus. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to be more faithful in that, that you would help us to be bold and zealous for the proclamation of the gospel, uh, and not timid. Uh, we don't want to be Republicans with the gospel. We want to be bold evangelists um, for the cause of Christ. And so we, we pray that um, this morning we would see the some of the great history that we have in the church of bold witness um, to the grace of of Christ. And we ask for all these things in His name. Amen. Alright, so we are on the last focused discussion uh, on Calvinism in the series. It may come up again from time to time. Every time. But I'd like to begin uh, Numbers next week. So, uh, we're going to launch into the desert next week. Um, So, but this time, uh, I'd like us to to discuss uh, probably in my estimation the most dishonest and insidious objection to Calvinism and I say dishonest and insidious uh, because people that know better still promote this objection and it's that the idea uh, something like this how, how can someone enthusiastically proclaim the gospel to everyone if they are convinced that only a few are chosen and will be drawn to saving faith wouldn't these doctrines dampen our motivation to pray for the lost if god is going to save whomever he wants what can we do about it why should we do anything And I I say it's dishonest and insidious, not not because people who are first confronted with the doctrines of grace may have this objection, that's sort of understandable. But people who know better, who know the history of the church, still promote this thing. And it's ridiculous. um, What does history tell us? Uh, A lot of people argue that many in the Reformation, most in the Reformation had little to no interest in missions. Um, and that depends, really, on what you think the Reformation was. Was the Reformation just an argument a bunch of uh, wine and cheese scholars in, in medieval times over finer points of doctrine? Or was it a reclaiming a, a, a new era of reclaiming the gospel of God's free grace? If it's just wine and cheese discussion, then yeah, clearly they had very little interest. Right, But if it's the gospel reborn in Europe, then every effort they made to promote that gospel is a missionary effort. Right? For starting from that standpoint, everything they did was a mission effort. Um, it, all right. During, in fact, some have said that if, if it was in fact... A reclamation, a recovery of the gospel of God's free grace in Christ. Then it was on the scale of the greatest missionary movement since the Apostle Paul.
1: I was just thinking. That. <laughs> I mean, Apostle it's, Paul's Calvinistic and it's, he it, went on several missionary journeys. Yeah, churches.
0: yeah, but but with the but the the, um, the amount of effort that was done in the Reformation, the scale of the success of the Reformation in Europe is akin to what Paul did. Just the level of it. Um, so during during the first generation of the reformation a lot of energy was spent by the reformers just to keep breathing right they were hunted by roman catholic oppression uh, throughout their lives they're holding their own in the face of roman catholic opposition but getting a foothold in europe was a significant achievement to have churches planted in europe that were protestant churches was a big deal and and that they remained and and grew. Um, Add to that that the reformers were largely in Europe landlocked. There were no ports for them to sail out to South America, Africa, those places. And the ports were controlled to the east and the south by Muslim armies trying to invade Europe and to the west by Spaniards and Portuguese navies, Spanish and Portuguese navies, who were decidedly not Protestant, right? They were guarding those things. Um, You add to this that Luther was so certain about the imminent return of Christ, he he watched some TBN, he was so certain about the imminent return of Christ he overlooked the necessity of foreign missions. Now later Lutherans would be very involved in missions, but at his time his concern was preaching in Europe, teaching, teaching reformed doctrine, the the, the the faith alone uh, was his battle cry um, in Europe. But later, Lutherans again did become more interested in missions. Oddly enough, and this is why I think this is insidious. Oddly enough, it was Calvin that was mo- the most outwardly zealous for overseas and foreign missions. Um, he sent dozens of evangelists to France, many to face martyrdom. They'd come in and he'd teach them and send them back over and then they'd many times be killed. He also commissioned several missionaries to go to um, South America along with a, a, a few French Huguenots. They, they took a journey to Brazil to, to evangelize the Indians in Brazil. They were betrayed by their leader to the government of Portugal, who had the right over the colonization of Brazil. And they were slaughtered by Jesuits in Brazil. But the effort was being made. Calvin sent them, and they willingly went. These were the first Protestant missionaries, however, to step foot in the New World. Um, Calvin and the other pastors in Geneva believed that missionaries should be thoroughly prepared in theology and the ability to read the Bible in the native language of their mission. They were very concerned about being fully prepared. One of the murdered missionaries, in fact, in the, the trip to South America was one of Calvin's favorite students, theology students. It was a dear friend of his. So, I mean, Calvin's very overtly interested in, in missions. A third point that many people miss is that Geneva was a refugee hub from all over um, people were being persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church for their belief in Protestant theology for reformed theology, and they would come in from Scotland, England, you know uh, Poland um, all over and the Genevan Church was not just a haven for them but a school. Again, the pastors in Geneva wanted to train people and send them out into the world as missionaries. Um, it trained them and sent them back to their homelands and and most of the time to certain martyrdom. A lot of them joke that their certificate of completion (laughs) or their degree that they would get from the Genevan school was also their death warrant. They knew what they were getting into and they still went. Um, The remarkable growth of Protestant churches in Europe during this period of persecution can be attributed to the mission efforts of the reformers to Europe, uh, and especially those of the mission efforts in Geneva. Um, you can see some of this mission, missionary zeal in, in, a, in a lot of Calvin's sermons as well. For example, in a sermon on Matthew 28, 19, I have this in your, in your handout. Calvin said, this is the point of the word go. Go into all the world, you know. Go, uh, go the, the point of the word go. The boundaries of Judea were prescribed to the prophets under the law. But now the wall is pulled down and the Lord orders the ministers of the gospel to go far out to scatter the teaching of salvation throughout all the regions of the earth. It wasn't just Calvin, but even the Reformed Confession, like the Heidelberg Confession, uh, was translated as an evangelistic tool into Dutch, Saxon, Hungarian, English, Greek, French, Polish, Lithuanian, and Italian within 25 years of its being published. Why would you translate in that many languages? Unless you're wanting people to read it in those languages, right? So you have an evangelistic zeal through the teaching of theology, through the teaching of doctrine in the Heidelberg um, uh, Creed and the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, One Reformed theologian translated the Heidelberg Catechism into Hebrew, with the express purpose of bringing the gospel to Jewish people. Another sent, this is interesting to me, another sent a Greek copy to the patriarch of the Greek Orthodox Church, who loved it and adopted it officially as part of the Greek Orthodox Church, along with the canons of Dort. And then after he died, they repudiated it. (laughs) But I I find that incredibly interesting. They're not holding back. You talk about preaching indiscriminately. They're going, obviously Calvin had a lot of interactions with Catholic theologians, trying to convert them, trying to explain where they are. But even the Greek Orthodox, who'd been largely forgotten, they're trying to to, uh, share the gospel, to preach the gospel to them as well. In the post-Reformation era, the generation right after the Reformers, um, the Heidelberg Catechism, which was a a Reformed Catechism, was further translated into Malay, Javanese, which I didn't even know was a language, Portuguese, Spanish, Sinhalese, Tamil, Chinese, and Japanese, and later on into Navajo, Zuni, Tiv, and Hausa, all, all Indian languages. And it just shows the breadth of the missionary activity that was going on by Reformed churches, especially the Dutch Reformed Church at that time, kind of coupled with some of the merchants where they would carry uh, under cover of guard their missionaries where the merchants were going and, 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 um, and were able to, to um, get grants from, this is a little weird to us, but they would get grants from the government to go on missionary journeys, um, which is interesting. So the The Jesuit order was founded as a counter Reformation order. You know, the Jesuits—they were, they were called the God's uh, Marines. You know, uh, they they were founded as a response, a Catholic response to the Reformation missionary endeavor um, to to uh, to shut it down especially that of the calvinists all right this brings us to the modern missionary effort so that's kind of the reformation era. you can see a lot of this going on mostly running for their lives but still a lot of effort being made to get the gospel out to other nations around 150 to 200 years later the dutch reformed church had established a school solely for the training of missionaries and many of the guys that were signatories to the Synod of dort were very zealous for missions um, the canons of Dort, of course, expressly confirmed the missionary mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, new, the New England Calvinists set out from the beginning to evangelize the natives of the New World. Um, they These efforts were explicitly stated in their charge. The Massachusetts Bay Colony, you know, the pilgrims, Mayflower, all that stuff, the the Massachusetts Bay Charter specifically says, in that great Old English, that the purpose of their movement to the New World was to win, W-Y-N-N, and incite the natives of the country to the knowledge and obedience of the only true God and Savior of mankind and the Christian faith. I love the spelling there—it's just so awesome but that's the point that's why they went was to evangelize in the new world um, some of these efforts led to reformed pastors living with the Indians permanently and it led to the conversion of thousands of the natives in Massachusetts and in fact the ordination of some of native of the natives as pastors in their communities Jonathan Edwards recorded the efforts of David Brainerd as a Calvinist minister who was noted for his remarkable mission to the Indians of Western Massachusetts. And we could go further. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface here. We could go further uh, to the missionary efforts of uh, Calvinists like William Carey. Familiar William Carey, kind of nobody know India. Jim what Jim Carey's grandfather? Hardly. Maybe. I don't know. That's a unique name, right?
2: That, uh, to India. to oh,
0: India. India, yeah. Andrew Fuller, maybe hear of Andrew Fuller, then, Reformed pastor, Baptist pastor who kind of chartered the way for modern missions. Uh Adam Arm Judson, Burma. No? Yes? Anyone? Anyone, Bueller? Okay. Great efforts made in these countries that were um, hardened to the gospel, and they made inroads to where massive amounts of gospel proclamation and and fruit happened. Um, We could delve into the origins of the First Great Awakening in America. It was all driven by Calvinistic theology. Um, It's undeniable that convinced Calvinists um, have contributed greatly to missions and evangelism throughout the world. but why? Why would the belief that God has chosen a specific number of people who will come to faith spur the missionary zeal of these men? It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? If God's going to do it anyway, why, why do we need to evangelize? Why should it spur us? Well, why? Why do you think?
1: We're the means by which he saves. Okay? We're, we're the were a part of the voices of his word,
0: were the voices of the gospel which say... Okay. Means by which they are saved. Means by which they hear the gospel. What What are some other What other thoughts you have on that? Why, why would a Calvinist ever be interested in missions?
2: Well, if they truly are faithful to the word of God, they will know that uh, not only was this a... Uh, Thing you should do doubt but that it was a direct
0: command of Jesus Christ. To make disciples. Kind of a big deal. If you believe that Christ is King, and He's sovereign over heaven and earth, He's Lord of heaven and earth. If He gives a command, it ought to be obeyed. Right? That's kind of a thing. Um, Paul stated that his missionary zeal was owing to the great confidence. That wherever he went, Christ had his elect who would believe the gospel. He says in 2 Timothy 2:10, Therefore I endure everything for the elect. And that's a big statement when you think about what Paul's talking about with everything. Uh, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He knew that God had chosen a people, he didn't know who they were, and he felt And he knew that it was imperative for him to forge through the opposition and the pain and the torture and all the stuff he went through for the sake of finding gold in them, their hills. Right? When we went through Acts, it was Paul's duty to preach to Lydia, but it was the Holy Spirit who, quote, opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul was used as means. The Holy Spirit moved in her heart and saved her. Again, uh, Michael Horton points out that election is the source, but God works through means. And he means for us to proclaim the free, ga- the free grace of God through the risen king. Kevin? Yes. I'm
1: an analogy kind of a guy. Okay. God makes the seed grow, but the farmer still casts the seed all over the ground, and he prepares the ground by tilling it, and he waters it immediately after but he doesn't know which seed's
0: going to grow and which isn't. Right. Right. God makes the dirt. God makes the ability to throw, and yet we're still required to, commanded to throw. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, those who are dead in trespasses and sin are raised mm-hmm. to the spirit through the through the preaching, raised by this spirit through the preaching of the gospel Uh, paul says again romans 10 which by the way follows romans 9 how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent it's about means god calls and he sends us to find there's no contradiction between God's sovereign grace and the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. There's confidence there that the mission is sure, right? If this is true and God is um, particularly providential in how, in, in how he converts and whom he converts, then the mission is Sure. We should never walk into a situation where we realize there's a gospel opportunity here and be um, timid, nervous. The nervousness that we feel may, should probably be directed on am I doing it accurately? Am I doing it faithfully? Not is God going to work or could God work? We should always be confident in, in that the mission is sure. Um, God's grace is the basis for confidence in the going we are to proclaim not compel what does that mean I can't trick somebody into believing Christ right I can't uh, here read this sinner's prayer Ah, <laughs> right, you're saved I can't do that <laughs> how ridiculous I can't get a gospel cube and do the thing and that's, what are we doing I can't buy your gas into the kingdom of heaven we proclaim it's very simple the the mandate jesus is so merciful to us he makes it very simple just open your mouth we should just open our mouths it's the it's the work of the holy spirit to convert the heart i cannot manipulate i cannot force and compel an outcome in somebody's heart to do so to act as if you could do so is very arrogant it's incredibly arrogant. I got a notch on my belt. I got ten people to read the sinner's prayer. This. Week. What are we doing? No. And I've been around people who talk like that. So
3: do you
4: find that the book uh, "How to Win Friends and Influence People" is helpful?
0: Is it- <laughs> Only in business.
4: In evangelizing and convincing people.
0: Look, I'm again. I agree with Philip. Right. I agree with Philip the gospel is offensive enough let's not add to it I, I get that but i i don't some of the gimmicky stuff drives me insane uh, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna hook somebody in to to or trick i well well i could go down this road for a while uh, this,
4: at youth camp people always tell stories of so-and-so she was gonna accept jesus into her heart that night but she she
5: didn't, for whatever reason, and then got killed in a car crash on the way home that evening. You don't
0: want that to happen to you. So come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. While today is the day of salvation, I agree with the the the, the principle, and we should com- compel people to come forward, to well, to profess faith, to confess Jesus. Um, we can talk about altar calls another time. Um, the. The emotional thing, being Armin, and, you know, and I'm, this is a general statement, there are faithful Armenians too, but I think a lot of Armenian theology tends toward the idea that you appeal to the emotions first, that you start with that emotional stuff. The Calvinist evangelism tends to be you appeal to the mind first. You, here's the law. You've broken the law. You're a sinner. You're standing for a holy God. What are you going to do when you evangelism explosion? Uh, was has a great question.
5: Evoke an emotion
0: if it should, if, if I mean, it is speaking to the heart, True. but it starts with the logical with thing the of logical thing. and then it goes to a pull to the will. You've got to believe, you've got to trust, you've got to repent, and then it's then there it moves toward and what am I going to do? Yeah. You know what can I do to be saved? Is the emotion you're you're expecting from a repentant sinner? Sure. But it starts with, are you a good person? <laughs> you know, it starts with those kinds of discussions. Yeah. The law to the proud, the grace to the humble, is is the, the old Puritan um, idea. So um, anyway, so we're, we we simply proclaim and call, trusting God that as He wills it, they will come. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh. Um, another thing is that when we were talking about talking about the law of God to people, it was not just God, with God. This was actually a this was a direct this is a, a direct method that uh, we applied from Jesus. Yeah. He, to the woman in the well, he revealed her adultery. Yeah. And she humbled before him and repented. He went to the rich young ruler and he revealed who his God really is. Yeah,
0: through the law. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. No, but you know, he didn't repent if but well none that we know but of. But
0: he's but he started with the law.
2: He started with the law. Yeah. You know, and and in a way, if you go back to the Old Testament, uh the uh the Levitical priests before when they go into war, they'll bring the law of God with them, the Ten Commandments which was in the ark,
5: mm-hmm.
2: you know, as a little image on how we must go into the spiritual war of evangelism. Be- saying before us with the law of God and be ready to answer for grace, we hold the gospel in two hands and we should never fight with just one. Or if you only fight with the law, you just recite hate. If you only enter the battle with Love and grace. They don't know why the love and grace is for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to know the yeah, bad we news. Who,
2: what you being saved from? Yeah,
0: you got to know the bad news before you can give the good news, and, and and to explain how good the good news really is. Yeah.
4: So I'm wondering, as we talk about motivations for uh, for evangelism under the Calvinistic doctrine, I mean, where where's the place for? Love? Gratitude, I think, is a primary mm-hmm. motivation. Gratitude for my own salvation, mm-hmm. and then compassion and love for other people. Sure, if you see someone drowning, and you're just like, oh, I mean, just it seems so clinical when you say, "Well, I'm a means, I'm a you know mouthpiece for goodness yeah. and out of obedience, I'll do it." And yeah. obedience is surely done. sure. Like I don't want to be faithful with, but I wanted
0: yeah, people no who are
4: going to hell otherwise. If they don't do and it.
0: that's and that's, I'm I'm giving a list of motivations. I mean. Obedience is one, uh, and obedience and loving the sinner. I mean, part of part of our understanding is that we're imaging Christ, right? That we're that we are um, reflecting God in what we, in everything that we do. And God is the first evangelist. What's evangelism? To make God known to the nations. And you start off in Genesis with this list of the nations in in uh, Genesis five, I believe. God knows who they are. He knows where they are and his heart is for the sinner to repent. Jesus said that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. So our rejoicing comes from sinners repenting. We want to see that from the heart. So yeah, you're right. There, it, it, there is an emotional component to our evangelism as well. I don't want to see people go to hell. I don't want to see people lost and, and waste their lives that God has gifted them. Like Right. Or a or blood on your own hands right, right. we and there and that's another motivation. We have a duty. We have we've been commanded to do it. And, we, and there's the obedience and the command, and and not being faithful to the command, we're uh, accountable to God for that. Yeah. So there there is there is certainly um, imaging Christ in the heart for he had compassion on those who were blind. What you know, he you see this again and again in the Gospels. So yeah, I mean there. I don't, want to, I don't want to make it sound clinical. If I'm doing that, I'm doing it wrong. There is a, there is a heart component to it. But first we start with God is king. Christ is king. And you want to point to why a Calvinist would do missions. That's the glory of God. You know, that's, that's where that's going to land. Um, and there's great confidence in the fact of the sovereignty of God. Not, not in my persuasiveness. I guess is the point I'm trying to make on this one. is It's not based on my persuasiveness. I can't, I can't flip the switch in somebody's head. But I do have great confidence in the power of God to convert the sinner, because He said He would, and He sent Christ to do it. So, um, there's a great confidence that our mandate is to be faithful to the message, and it's faithful from the heart. I mean, I, you know. Right. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Our obedience shows that we, you love, if you love me, do what I say. Do my, obey my commands. And God's command is to... Why He tells us to go is because He loves sinners. Um, all right. So, we don't want to manipulate outcomes and only the Holy Spirit can truly convert a sinner. So, how do we do that? What does that look like? What language should you use? If you believe... That uh, that God before the foundation of the world has chosen a people. Can you say, um, <clears throat> if you would just open the door of your heart, right? Or or um, can you say that um, Christ died for the world? Absolutely.
5: Yes.
0: You can. Well, isn't that inconsistent? No. I say this tongue in cheek, but go ahead. Why is it why is it not inconsistent?
5: Because it's from every tribe, tongue, tribe, and nation. Ah. Uh-huh. That is the world.
0: Yeah. Yes.
5: As well as for the for for the sinner who does not repent, as well.
0: He died for the sinner who does not repent. In what in what way? Um, sounds very Armenian to me. I don't know how to...
5: It does sound amazing. Well, it's Paul's. is the same. Word, <laughs> I, I can't remember the exact passage, but but uh, Paul says, in, it's either First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, that Christ died for the elect, but not only the elect. <coughs> he also died for the other.
0: In what, in what way? In a, in a different way. In a, in a, different, way. a, different, way. a different way. Not savingly. No. And that's what we talked about when we talked about limited atonement. <laughs> we talked about how Christ is king, purchases a people to save, but he's Lord of heaven and earth. All power in heaven and earth has been given to me by my Father. Um, We can, with all confidence, and I'm reading it slow because I know there's blanks in this sentence on your page. We can, with all confidence, proclaim to sinners, not that Christ has made them savable or made salvation possible, But that he has actually accomplished the salvation of all who trust in him. All who trust in him. So on the ground, our horizontal understanding of things, if you trust in Jesus, Christ died for you. Right? I, I can go to someone and say, Christ accomplished salvation. Christ died for sinners like me, like you. I can say that. Um, I can say Christ died for the world, and we just kind of went over that. I can say Christ's death is sufficient for you. I want to be careful with the Christ died for you, because that's an assurance in the the New Testament given to those who profess faith in Jesus. Right? I want to be careful with that. I understand, you're right, He died for everyone in some sense. Yes. But I don't want to get into... I, if I'm talking to somebody about that, I don't want to start splitting hairs with them on that right then. I want to go to the sufficiency of Jesus. I want to go to the, the, the mercy that He gives and the... Um,
5: it's understanding that, that God's grace is sufficient for all. So right. sufficient
0: for... For the elect. That's right. Well,
4: it, it seems like too, too often the conversation goes to... You need to make a decision whether you're going to accept Christ or not, which... That doesn't seem to really be the tone of the Bible. It's just that so God, God is in the Bible. Who God, who God is. But um, so so Paul isn't spending all this time trying to convince people to make their make a decision to follow Christ. I mean he's just preaching who God is. And if you preach who God is and who Jesus is, like um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he talks to people about the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel, and he presents it to them, and then it's just up to them. It's like, all right, now, here's the truth. What are you going to do
0: with it? Yeah. Like, well, even more than what are you going to do with it? He says, here's what you should do with it. Right. Right. He so, points them to so the how yeah. of what, what they should be responding to in obedience yeah. to, to Christ. Um, the, the incentive for us. So, is, so
5: he doesn't say, bow your head and repeat
0: after me? No, he doesn't. And he doesn't do just as I am like 10,000 times mm-hmm. to get, to no, get them to walk an Nile. Yeah. But that's a whole other discussion. Um, well, maybe not. Maybe we'll have time since we started way early mm-hmm. to talk about the altar calls. All right. The incentive, of course, is that God is sovereign and he has, um, he has chosen a people. But on, uh, on the ground, our charge is to preach the gospel as the canons of Dort say promiscuously. I don't know who the elect are. There's a. I don't think this is true. It sounds like something Spurgeon would say, but he talks about you know if there was a yellow stripe on the back of all the elect, he'd go around London lifting up people's shirts to see who he should <laughs> preach to. We're not given that. We're to preach to everyone the obedience of Christ. Um, remember Paul's fear and when we went through Acts. Remember Paul's fear about. I'm in this city, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about once again being persecuted, I mean just gotten stoned from the city before, and Christ comes to him and says, don't be afraid, I have many people in this city, right? You see the confidence that Christ gives him to proclaim the gospel in a hostile territory. Um, he commanded us to go. This is the, we talked about this earlier. It, 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 Christ, if Christ is King, He's commanded us to go. He didn't command with a wink, right? When He said go to the apostles, He said, "Hey, He didn't say, you know, guys, I'm just giving you something to do while I while I'm away." It means something. This is the way God set it up. Here's the message. Go proclaim the message, knowing that you're you're talking to dead men. And unless I move by the Holy Spirit, they're not going to respond, but go anyway. There's the, dry, the valley of dry bones thing going on there. Um, he commanded us to go, and that's really how God set this thing up. Um, even though He's commanded us to go, we're still totally dependent upon Him for the mission to be accomplished, which is the fundamental thing in all of Reformed theology. I'm commanded, give me what you command, right? We start with Augustine, Augustine, however you, whatever. (laughs) I'm commanded to go, give fruit in what you command. It's the same fundamental principle. We are are an agent of means. God is the the determining, he gives the increase. He's the determining factor. Um, All right, what about the free offer? If you believe that God has only chosen some, how can you sincerely offer the gospel to anyone? You don't know if they're elect. Okay, so the response to that is is fairly um, simple. The king who commands his people to preach the gospel is the same king who commands all sinners to repent and believe the gospel. It's not an invitation, it's a command. We're proclaiming a command of the king. We must repent and believe. But it reminds me of that old joke. I don't know if y'all ever had board at a restaurant, you took a napkin, make a mustache out of it. You must pay the rent, but I can't pay, you know, but I can't pay the rent. You do the bow and the thing. You've never seen this? No. Oh. Oh. Here's, here's napkin. All right, here he goes. Here he goes. I think you would say no anyway, even if you had just to see me do this. I have a feeling, I don't know. All right, so you get the napkin like this. This is something to great at, at party tricks. And you have the, you make it fluffy. You must pay the rent, but I can't pay the, but you must pay the Have y'all not seen this ever? <laughs> okay, but you, but I can't pay the rent. but you must pay the rent. I'll pay the rent. My hero foiled again, you know, that kind of thing. So you have, you must repent, believe, but I can't repent. Belief. I'll, I'll change your heart, right? I mean, you have the hero is always going to be God. Moving in the hearts of people. I don't know why that just came to me, but it did in a moment of inspiration. We'll write that down. That's the 67th book of the Bible. All right. Um, So we have the king who commands his people to preach is the same king who commands all sinners to repent and believe. We're fully responsible to obey the command but it's the Holy Spirit who gives the ability to do so. Command what you will, then give what you command. Christians proclaim the how and the why to obey. The Holy Spirit gives the ability to obey. So I want to close, since it, since it is 10, and I'm really trying to be better about this because I want to be obedient to the parameters that have been given by the leadership of the church when we should end this class. I want to close with a couple of excerpts from the great anti-missions document the Canons Dort. All right. Look at, uh, look at the first one here. Moreover, the promise of the gospel is that whosoever believes in Christ, crucified, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Gosh, that's so limiting. That's so anti-mission. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be declared and published to all nations and to all persons promiscuously, there's that word, and without distinction, to whom God out of His good pleasure sends the gospel. And then again it says, as many as are called by the gospel are sincerely called. For God has most earnestly and truly declared in His word what is acceptable to Him, namely, that those who are called should come unto Him. He also seriously promises rest of soul and eternal life, To all who come to Him and believe, we can proclaim confidently. We can proclaim zealously, passionately, knowing that God, in His great sovereign mercy, will call internally while we are calling externally. Any other comments before we pray and go? Yeah,
1: we're we're called um, to be a light to the world, a light. Um, basically, little lights of Christ, and you think about a light is
0: um, I'm an analogy guy. I've heard that. So, so there,
1: there's no that. there's no like laser beam with the light. It's talking about a candle that flickers in a room, mm-hmm. just scatters light everywhere where it is, and that is like the gospel.
0: <laughs> that that is that is an analogy.
6: <laughs> Since MacArthur hasn't been brought up today. <laughs> I do like what he said. He goes, "If I thought for one minute that somebody's salvation, or the world's salvation, or my congregation's salvation depended on my ability to perfectly explain this, right, I would kill myself. Yeah, it would be better for me to not lead anybody astray. Yeah, than to lead a few. And that's what's interesting about like About people who." like to talk about the people they say I've led this people okay how many people did you not save how many people are going to hell because you didn't do it good enough yeah
0: they don't like to talk about that no. that's God's fault yeah oh God
6: just didn't do this but right. they like to claim success stories yeah but they don't like to talk about the others that's things. right it's interesting how God in this area yeah but then I was instrumental in this area
0: uh, we don't have negative evangelism belts yeah <laughs> we don't put notches for the people we missed and we whiffed on. Because exactly. you know? yeah. Yeah. that's
3: God. That's, he's sovereign in that area. Yeah.
0: It's
6: interesting.
3: He's only halfway sovereign. Yeah. I think if, if we're going to um, choose uh, or use Jesus and Paul and others as examples of how to do evangelism, it does point to that, that there's not just one uh, method. Mm. It's not just the law. Because Jesus, when the woman with the issue of blood touched
0: him, mm-hmm. he, he didn't preach the law to her. Yeah, she already knew the law. He, he
3: said, you're clean. Yeah. You know, and the, the guy with the withered hand that everybody's like, he's in or his parents in or it was grace, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I, think, I think that there's, there's a real need for discernment and, and that dependence that we need on the leading of the spirit in mm. situations like that so we're not just going through our rote right. presentation of the gospel and, right. and just flooding people i mean i was thinking of when our little neighbor in third grade came over and audrey's friends were there trying to share the gospel and they start telling her about Satan and the Trinity and uh, and she didn't even know who Jesus and God were. Right. You know, and so and they were trying in their best third-grade way right to do that, but I think sometimes we do that too, flooding people and, and and expecting people to agree with every point of doctrine that we've come to over the past 30 years mm-hmm. maybe in our own journeys mm-hmm. versus realizing that you, you see these interactions that Jesus had with people. don't expect them to know everything about him and right. everything about every point of doctrine to believe.
0: Right.
5: Yeah. So. Yeah. You, you have to know your audience. That's right. Yeah. Um, you have to understand the culture before you can actually reach the culture. Yeah. Um,
0: and that's and where you sure get the compassion for the law. Like to, to that talk, effort.
5: To talk to, like, a Muslim. Uh, in the Middle East, they have a very pre-modern view of things. You have to understand mm-hmm. their views before you can actually preach to them. Because, right. Or, or witness to them because they just, the way that they think is so
3: vastly different from mm-hmm. what Christians think. And there
2: are um, lots of Muslims here in Tyler. Oh, absolutely. So I've been saying they do accept Moses as a prophet. And he used the use Moses and use the law with Muslims. Because their, you know, their whole faith is based off works. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, you don't make the mark.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So to, to borrow from another great uh, MacArthur quote, uh, since we'll just do a twofer today. Um, he, he has said before, and I love this and have adopted it as my own. I've plagiarized it, um, is that all world religions... Are are focused, and I'm not doing it justice. But all world religions involve or are focused on um, human accomplishment human achievement. But the gospel, the Christianity, is the only religion that is based upon divine accomplishment. And so every every culture that doesn't name Christ every person every belief system that doesn't name Christ boils down to some level of achievement that we've got to do sure. and so that's I think if we're looking for if we're looking for those touch points for somebody we don't know very well and we know we've only got a short time in an elevator a short time in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an airport or whatever that's the touch point sure. whether they're an environmental, you know, Nazi, or they're um, some kind of, uh, of, you know, Muslim or, or, or Mormon or whoever, it's all the human achievement at some level. They may use the word grace, but at some level it's, it's human uh, uh, achievement versus, and, and it's exactly what you say. How do you know? How do you know you've achieved it? By what standard can you say that you've achieved Uh, whatever your pinnacle of your of your religion heaven or paradise or whatever how do you know nirvana whatever
1: you made a comment about you know arminians they typically attack the emotion and Calvinists you know attack the the law or doctrine i think one of the reasons that we're considered so stoic is because we don't we don't have that emotion Mm -hmm. if we preached gospel and we preached doctrine and truly cared about it mm-hmm. that passion and that emotion would come through and it'd be a lot more effective but the reason is because we don't we're not exuding that we're yeah not and not showing that.
0: and that shows up i think in care of the person and loving the person actually exactly. and, and not just People the doctrine the but, but it's also, because of the doctrine that we should love the person but It's <laughs> also
6: a difference in delivery because if you're delivering to convince somebody to win an argument mm-hmm. using a law and using logic. Mm-hmm. It's a different way than if I'm just trying to emotionally manipulate you. You know, you, so, could die in a, yeah,
0: you could yeah, die no, on 323 on
6: tonight. Very and very it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a different mindset. If right. My, my end game is to emotionally manipulate you. Well, that's pretty, it's a whole different approach than if I'm right. trying to. That's why you don't see many attorneys in court. Trying to emotionally, you know, I mean, yeah. I guess there is that to a degree, but you're supposed to argue facts and facts. And yeah.
0: Society. It just not, depends on who you're talking to. Not
6: how bad can I make you feel that yeah. you make a snap decision that you may not remember. Right,
0: right. But, not, but emotion's not bad
3: because Christ redeems no. our emotion. So I, I think that it being emotions. too clinical or, being, or trying to manipulate emotions or.
0: It's motive behind. Yeah, there's motive in all of this. I mean, if it's intellectualized, then it's just to win an argument. If it's emotional, hyperemotionalism, then it's just to get a notch on the belt from a, from a snap decision. There's a medium in there, and Christ does redeem our emotions. And we're to reflect love for the lost. We're to reflect love for Christ and what we do. So, yeah, those are all... Um maybe we should push this to talk about it more at at uh, over um insanely unhealthy breakfast lunch.
1: <laughs> She's bringing fruit. That's
0: healthy. Yeah. We we're going through so I was on that Evangelist at boutique and I really thought yeah. it was a Y'all use beads.
3: No, it's very amazing. i <laughs> just going to Praise God for His grace in the word go and what that actually means in Scripture because just as there are different methods, I really felt like I failed if I didn't get all the way through, you know, a conversion, a presentation. And I was very, it needed to be X and it needed to be at this time. And so just because you're not involved in a new conversion or see that, I think it's so awesome that the word you know, go is really as you are going, but it's an imperative participle. So throughout our life, as we're not analogy girl, but spreading the seed, you yes know, you like we're, you
0: know, he, he's gonna.
3: That might you might have been part of the grace inside. Mm-hmm. You know, softening their heart later. So yeah. it's always, not just that the methods are different, but the, that he just uses us right. as we're going. Right.
0: So yeah. A
4: lot of grace. So yeah. I say just one more thing on Sure. Sure. <laughs> Like, is
0: it an yeah, analogy? The law is okay. not a
4: method. So I, I, yeah. I would think we should make it clear that yeah. I had not known sin but by the law. When I was right. not, not saved, I didn't think I was a sinner. I thought that it was ridiculous that the whole Christian sure. faith talked about sin. and the whole, just. We have to have a standard outside yeah. of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the law is, is that standard. Right. The law prepared the hearts of the people in Israel, and that's why the yeah. you know all these people in Israel go up, and he gives them grace. But Right, gave law to the proud, grace to the humble. Right. So I think that if we forsake the law, we will forsake true conversion. Sure. Because people won't see themselves as being exceedingly sure. Temporary. And so then, do they? But repeat?
0: how we, but how we implement? I think that's the point Tammy's making. How we implement that is a person by person basis. There may be some people who already. So they know down, people. they already know we're you know they, they will tell that you and, they need grace. and and you need great. You need to get you get straight to straight to grace. That,
2: that's why. Just, I love the first question that uh we were told that you think you're some good person, and if they tell you, that I'm a I'm an absolute wretch. Yeah. You know? If they
0: use the word wretch, then we kick them over to Todd because uh, yeah. that's, yeah. that's the whole thing there. So yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, they go. They, got, they will reveal man I don't know if I can be saved yeah and that's a know? that's
0: a whole different conversation than yeah I'm a good person it's completely different and so yeah, it's a great diagnostic question and from there you just go straight to God and Evangelism Explosion does similar thing where it says if you were standing before God right now what would you tell him is the reason for you to get into his heaven you know it's the same kind of uh, uh, D. James Kinney also Calvinist by the way he came the with camp way is, is asking
5: you know if you were to die today how sure are you that you would be in heaven out of
0: scale 1 to three. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a Well, at least it's not a gospel cube. So, you know. Um, so there's a, on a, on a finer point I would
2: rather have a billion dollar track.
0: Yeah. <laughs> on a finer point, um, we talk about I'm an analogy guy or whatever. All language is metaphor. Just so you know, just think about that and let's pray. <laughs> God, we do thank you for the great gift of your grace to us individually. And we thank you that Christ came to redeem the world. We thank you that his grace, his atonement is sufficient even for me, even for each of us. And that you and your great mercy use broken vessels like us to go preach Christ crucified, dead, buried, and risen, and ruling heaven and earth as our great king. So we want to be faithful to what he's commanded us to do. We want to be faithful to proclaim the call to repent and believe the gospel. We want to be faithful in proclaiming what that gospel is. And we want to be faithful in living holy lives that adorn what we proclaim. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.